The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, Market Watch edition. My name is Andrew Keshner, and I'm a reporter with Market Watch. Today with me is Adrian Alfonso, Principal in Tax at Kaufman Rosin. Welcome, Adrian. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Andrew. Looking forward to this. Uh, this time of year is, is when everyone's looking at their taxes and you're in planning. So I'm, I'm excited to be part of this. That's right. Yeah. I don't look now, but it, the, the, the start of tax season is roughly a month away, if last year is any clue. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're going to talk some year end um, tax planning, some start of 2024 tax planning. Also, don't look now, but we're less than one year away from a presidential election and two years away from the expiration of major parts of the tax code. So we're going to talk some tax policy, too, uh, and also attempt to fit in some listener questions. So here we go. A lot of ground to cover. Adrian, let's start with end of year tax planning. Um, generally, at this time of year, what are the issues that pop up for um, individuals uh, in tax planning? Yeah, Andrew, I mean, there's there's a slew of issues that always come up. Every situation is different, but there's, you know, the top ones are how do I reduce my income, reduce my taxes, and there's there's things that could be done. Um, you know, we have harvesting capital losses is, is, is always a big one. Actually, right before I jumped on, there was a client calling me regarding that. Um, you know, we encourage all, all, all of our clients here at Kaufman and Rawson to look at their year-to-date realized, you know, capital gains, be it in stocks or if they sold the property, and to the extent that they have other securities that they could potentially sell that are not doing well and harvest those losses, um, that would help obviously reduce their overall taxable gains on some of that. So, so that's one um, technique that, that that we're always looking at. We look at, you know, have you, if you're an employee, have you maximized all your 401k contributions? Um, have you maximized your contributions into your health savings account for you and your family if 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 you have one? Um, you know, there's always ways to look at whether you can defer income into the following year or accelerate expenses so long as it's obviously, you know, under the law is something that you can do. Um, had a call the other day with a client and they're 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 you know selling a significant uh, piece of land down here in South Florida. Um, you know, and, and I asked them, can you push it off to January? Because if you push it off to January, you can push off a lot of the taxes that are due with that, you know, close to 15 months or so till April of, you know, 2025. And you can save that money and you can, you know, put it in a savings account and at five and a half percent of whatever your banks are paying, you know, that's a strategy that's always used. Um, you know, if you are selling a property, you should have done this already, but there's always the opportunity to defer uh, your capital gain using a 1031 exchange, which is just replacing your investment property. Um, you know, if you're going to do that, you do need to obviously consult with your, you know, tax professionals, and you got to get a qualified intermediary involved. Um, you know, as it relates to charitable contributions, are another big thing that that you see nowadays, especially at the end of the year. You know, if if you're inclined 
to give to charities of your choice. There's ways of doing it to maximize your charitable contribution. Um, you know, if, if you're at the age where you have a retirement account that has a required minimum distribution, I believe the age now is 73 years old, there's a mechanism under that distribution to make a qualified charitable uh, deduction or distribution from your retirement account and take a charitable deduction and reduce your ordinary income. And, and that's helpful for some taxpayers and clients nowadays, they don't itemize because they don't have enough deductions to itemize. So this is a way to be able to at least reduce your income and get that charity, you know, the money that you want to get them. Um, you can bunch your deductions together, right? If, if you don't, you know, you're not utilizing the itemized deduction on your individual tax return, you can put in all your deductions in one year, right? Make a big donation this year in 2023, let's say, not do anything in 24 and kind of catch up in 25 for what you didn't do in 24. So we, we see some of that bunching um, of, of, of itemized deductions, charitable deductions, property taxes, you can do that as well. Um, donating securities. Um, you know, some people don't know this, but if you are gonna give to a charitable organization and, and, and they receive stocks, if you have appreciated stock that you're thinking of selling, well, instead of selling it, you can make the stock, you can contribute and donate the stock to your charity of choice, you get a deduction for the fair market value. So let's say you bought a stock for $500, it's worth you know $2,000 now. You can make that contribution of the stock, get a deduction for $2,000, and, and you never have to pay the taxes on the appreciation of the $1,500. Um, you know, some some other high level issues that 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 we're seeing, you know, especially around COVID and and shortly after COVID, there was a lot of taxpayers moving from states where they pay taxes to, to non-paying, non-income tax states like we have here in Florida or Texas. You know, if, if you're one of those taxpayers that are moving from one state to the other, there's always what we call state and local tax considerations that you should be discussing with your CPAs. Um, you know, so as a whole, we always really encourage our clients to kind of let us know anything that's happening in their lives, be it uh, you know, if they're having kids, if they're getting a divorce, if there was a death, if there was an inheritance, um, anything that changed during the year, it's important that you discuss it with your, you know, CPA prior to the end of the year, because there could be things that you can do before the end of the year that can be helpful. You know, from an estate purpose, if, if you have a significant estate and you want to start giving away some of that estate, you can utilize the annual you know, um, exclusion, which is like $17,000 per taxpayer and give some of your estate you know, uh, on an annual basis without it having any impacts against your lifetime exemption. So, and, and, yeah. Oh, sorry. Well, I guess, I, and so that's on the individual side. Um, how about quickly uh, for businesses and partnerships, is there any anything special, any special planning that goes on for them at the end of the year as well? Yeah, I mean, look, a, a lot of the clients that we deal with here at Kaufman Rawson, they're, you know, you said partnerships, they're S corporations, they're pass-through entities. So the planning on the individual side goes hand in hand with the planning on the entity side. Cause you know, generally speaking, these types of entities aren't tax paying entities and they pass through the income or loss to the partner or shareholder. And then it, it really kind of all gets wound up into the, the individual tax return. But there's definitely things to look at um, on, on the business side. Um, you know, with 
you know, you mentioned when you opened up the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that went into place in 2017, there's um, a wider opportunity for you to kind of look at your cash methods, right, whether you're cash or accrual, and see if there's if making a change in your cash method from one to the other benefits you. Um, and that's something you should be looking at, at at year end. You know, similar to individuals, can you defer income to the following year legally? or accelerate any expenses that you can take this year. Um, so that's always a discussion that we have with, with uh, taxpayers. You know, again, tied into the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the uh, deduction for state taxes was limited uh, with the, with the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act to $10,000 per taxpayer on their individual tax return. So what a lot of states have done, I think we're, we're up to like 30 states at this point, They've introduced um, what, what, what's referred to as a pass-through entity tax, which allows these pass-through entities, partnerships, and S-corporations to pay what used to be an income tax on the individual shareholders and partners. They're able to take that deduction uh, at the entity level to get a deduction at the federal side. Those pass-through entity tax elections are very um, detailed. You got to know what you're doing. There's specific timelines that you got to, you know, do them within. Every state's different, so that's something you should really be discussing with your CPAs if you're in a multi-state or you're in a state where there's income tax at the ultimate, you know, partner or, or shareholder. Uh, fixed asset review, right? So if um, if you're capitalizing items, there's been changes in that world. You know, bonus depreciation, which is you you buy a fixed asset. Um, a capitalized asset, equipment, furniture. Um, you know, last year you were able to deduct 100% of that under bonus. This year, it's 80%. So, looking at your fixed assets, making sure that you're, you know, either properly capitalizing or properly expensing. There's there's ways that you can expense some of these items that people might consider them to be capitalized assets. They really might be repairs and maintenance, and you can expense that. Um, if you're a business that has um, re, uh, research and development, research and development expenses recently have taken, um, uh, you have to now capitalize them versus being able to expense them. So historically, you can, you know, if you're in a startup, you know, company and you have a lot of research and development, what you used to be able to expense now has to get capitalized and expensed over, you know, I believe it's five years or 15 years if it's international research and development. Um, another thing that we always look at, you know, again, introduced with the uh, Tax Cuts and Jobs Act is, is the Qualified Business Income Deduction. So in 2017, when the corporate rate, the, the, the C-corp rate went down from, I believe it was 35%, 37% down to 21%, yeah. they introduced this uh, tax benefit for people who own pass-through entities. It's a Qualified Business Income Deduction, which is a 20% deduction on your business income. There's other thresholds you need to meet to be able to, you know, to maximize that 100% of the 20% deduction. So it's very important to look at that before year end, because once the year end closes, you might not have hit those thresholds, and you, it's really difficult to go back and, and take a look at that. Um, something else that's still big out there, um, you know, and, and the window is closing, is the employee retention tax credit. I know there's been a lot of uh, articles on this, but there's still an opportunity um, to apply for and get your credit. Um, these are being scrutinized heavily by the IRS. Um, there's been a lot of, um, you know, professionals or let's not call them professionals, but companies that have opened up and they're, they're, they're just giving and calculating these employee retention tax credits for companies that, that really might not qualify. 
So the IRS has caught up on that and they're looking at that, but that's another opportunity to look at. So, you know, and I, you know, those are the types of business um, year end tax planning discussions we're having uh, with our clients that, you know, in most cases also tie into their individual tax return. So that's, that's the year end and right around the corner uh, 2024 starts. Yep. Um, If I'm an individual taxpayer, a business or an estate or, or any any for for any wide array of taxpayers what are what are some of the um some of the new rules and regulations and, or new taxes uh, to be aware of starting yeah. next year yeah so so really from the business and individual it's a lot of the, what i just talked about um that bonus depreciation i talked about that was at 80% for this year for 2023 is going down to 60% um, you know, 2024 and 2025, I think, is a big year for estate planning. Um, you know, if, if you have, um, you know, again, because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, the lifetime exemption was almost doubled. Um, you know, today it's sitting about $13 million. Um, I think for next year it's going to be about $13.5 million because it is adjusted for inflation. So to the extent you're a taxpayer, that your estate is at about $13 million or so, or 13 and a half million, or double that if you're married, you should really be considering and, and contacting an attorney already and working on your estate plan because the, the, the way the law is today, if it's not changed, is by the end of 2025, meaning you have the 2024 tax year, you have the 2025 tax year. By the time we get to January 1st, 2026, that lifetime exemption is going to revert back to 5 million plus index for inflation, which we think it's going to land somewhere at about six and a half million. So, you know, if you're in between that six and a half million and that 13 and a half million of an estate double, if you're married, you should really be discussing this with your CPA and you should be discussing this and hiring an attorney because attorneys will get extremely busy and to the point where they're not going to be able to service all the clients that are going to want planning. So I think, I think you know the biggest thing that I'm telling my clients is that get your eyes on estate planning. Make sure your 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 documents are in order that you've done and you've maximized these lifetime exemptions because we really don't know when and if we're going to see these these you know thirteen and a half million dollar lifetime exemptions again or at least in the near future. Yeah. Um, one other thing that's out there, it's not an IRS thing. Um, is, is, is this beneficial ownership information reporting requirement with FinCEN, which is the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. Um, I think they're trying to get a better idea as to who the beneficial owners are of some companies. And they're requiring companies, I think, effective next year to start doing this annual reporting with FinCEN. So if, if you own a business, you should really look into this because there are penalties associated with this. Again, I, again it's not an IRS-issued um, you know, requirement, but it is something that's out there that will affect um, a lot of our, you know, clients, both small, middle, and large businesses out there. Yeah, you know, it, on a side note on that, uh, there, there's been a couple people I've talked to around end of the year tax planning, and they've all brought up this FinCEN uh, uh, requirement. They're 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 worried that it's going to fly under the radar of too many people. Um, I, I want to remind our listeners uh, to, if you'd like to, please submit some questions. Uh, and we will aim to get as many in as we can. Uh, Adrian, so so we have the 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 you know the the 2024 picture on you know 
people and businesses and enti- entities filing their taxes. Uh, there's also the 2024 picture for the IRS in tax administration. Um, and, you know, this is an agency that has had, is getting billions poured into its operations and its technology and its personnel um, to try and really just give it a facelift in a whole new direction. So, I mean, what, if I'm, let's start with, let's start with customer service uh, uh, and just, you know, professional dealing with practitioners like you. Uh, I mean, what, what could we hope to expect from the IRS this, this tax season? So it's improving. I, I honestly think that the IRS is really trying to improve their customer service, to improve access to their information. I mean, I've we we've seen better wait times. Um, you know, wait times are down. Um, you know, practitioners now have more access to information online. So I think we're starting to see the beginning of what the future of the IRS is going to look like. By no means do I think we're there yet. I mean, it's not uncommon to still call the IRS sometimes and have an hour plus wait time. Um, us as practitioners, we have a, a practitioner hotline and then there's other services out there that they'll kind of wait line for you and then you know you kind of get ahead of the line. So it's gotten better, but there's still a lot of room for improvement. Um, you know, they are trying to do a lot of web-based things and a lot of you know uh, accounts online for you to be able to access a lot of the information you're calling the agents for. So I would say they've improved, but there's still there's still a significant amount of, of room for improvement. So the other um, plot, another plot line, there's a couple for the IRS, but another one is they are um, stepping up enforcement for um, for corporations and high earning households. Um, that threshold was uh, uh, four hundred thousand and, and and above was really where they would be setting their sights. So uh, to what extent do you think that's going to intensify in next year? I mean, and are you already starting to see it happen? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think they're really continuing to make you know plans to really deploy these resources from the Inflation Reduction Act. It, to your point, it's, it's really targeting high net worth individuals, large C corporations and complex partnerships. Um, I've seen it. Um, I've had, a, a, you know, for a while there, it was not uncommon to have a few years of not having any of your clients get selected for an IRS examination. I'm, I'm starting to see more um, IRS examinations, so we are seeing an uptick. Um, and, and the uptick we've seen so far has really been limited to these high net worth individuals, complicated partnerships, and, and, and more complicated C corporations. Um, you know, if you're a taxpayer who had a significant transaction during the year, be it a, a partial sale of a business, a full sale of, of a business, is a there's a pretty good chance that that's going to get you know selected by the IRS. So they're definitely um, sticking to the word uh, as it relates to that. They are examining returns more. And again, it's not a huge uptick, but there is an uptick in what I'm seeing and everything I'm reading out there as it relates to these IRS examinations. And up to now, I'm really not seeing, you know, there was a concern early on that they were going to go after small businesses who really don't have the resources to pay for you know, professionals to help them. I'm, I, we haven't seen that yet. I'm not saying that's not going to happen, but that hasn't trickled down yet to the small businesses. It's really high net worth individuals. I think complicated partnerships and and significant C corporations is kind of where we're seeing that. Well, one more thing on the IRS before we move on to sort of the tax policy world ahead. Yep. The talk to us a little bit about this pilot program that the IRS has 
launching this upcoming year. It's their direct file system. Basically, it's like they're getting into the tax prep game, it sounds like. Correct. It's I mean, look, there's businesses out there, the H&R blocks of the world. Right. And, and, and there's there's a lot more out there that are preparing these for the most part, simple tax returns. Uh, and 99 percent of the information that they use to prepare these returns are sitting with the IRS. So, again, part of the Inflation Reduction Act um, that was signed into law last summer, it gave the IRS, I think, nine months and about $15 million to report and implement a program. So they, they are going to pilot this program. I believe it starts now, um, January of 2024. Um, it's going to be piloted across 13 states. Um, so th th there is an opportunity for, for hundreds of thousands of taxpayers to be participating in this rollout plan for the 2024 filing season. Um, the agency is going to work with, you know, not-for-profits, congressional offices, states, and others to identify ta taxpayers who are eligible and kind of fit the criteria for this direct, di direct file. Um, one of the criticisms that the IRS has been getting on this is, you know, for, for some taxpayers here in Florida, for example, we don't have an income tax. So most taxpayers just have to file, you know, their, their, their 1040 with the IRS, unless you have you know, income or activities in another state, but those states that have, you know, a, a state income tax, the criticism is, well, you're, you're solving my problem of filing my 1040, but I still need somebody to file my state tax return. So they are working with, I believe it's Arizona, California, Massachusetts, and New York for this upcoming season to kind of integrate the state tax returns with this um, direct file system. So it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I'm hoping this does alleviate the tax filing and the tax, you know, season for some of these taxpayers who who, who really, um, you know, should be just getting a bill from the IRS as to what they owe or what they're getting back, and and that's it. Because at this point, a lot of these, you know, smaller returns are at that point where the IRS has a majority of the information and should be processing these returns, you know, automatically. Yeah. It, it, it's a really interesting issue. Um, the, the before. What, I want to talk to turn a little bit to Capitol Hill doings or not doings. Um, <laughs> um, there's this talk of a possible deal where a version of the enhanced child tax credit comes back um, in exchange, um, in, and that is backed by Democrats, in exchange for also um, uh, expensing and bonus depreciation um, for businesses. Um Walk us through a little bit of that, and, and at least as you see it, the chance of something like that materializing. Yeah, I, I mean, I personally, I don't see, we don't see any of that materializing this year. You know, to your point, it's it's an election year, um, so I we we honestly don't anticipate any significant changes. There was, um, I believe, you're referring to the American Families and Jobs Act that was introduced uh, by Republicans, and that had three different three different, you know, acts under that. Um, you know, one of them was to extending this bonus depreciation I keep on talking about. That's that's kind of being phased out. Um, it was to kind of bring it back and keep it there through 2025. Um, the research and development expenses I was talking about that that you got to capitalize now under that act, uh, the idea was was to allow taxpayers to, to deduct it. You know, what you were talking about, for, there was a tax cuts for working families act which that one was, you know, to kind of help with that standard deduction um, that's going to start phasing out and it was going to add um, some additional bonuses ranging between two to $4,000 to your standard deduction. And then there was a small business act, which 
um, was increasing the threshold for 1099s. You know, currently, if you're a small business or even a sole proprietor and you pay any individual more than $600, you got to issue them a 1099. You know, this is considered a burdensome um, you know, requirement on small businesses. So the idea here was to increase that threshold from 600 to 5,000. Um, there was the increase in, in 179 depreciation, which is another method of depreciation. So there's good things in, in, in that act personally, you know, given it's an election year, I don't see any of this. And, and given the gridlock and everything that's happening in Congress, I don't necessarily see any of these going into effect. Um, if anything, we can potentially start seeing and looking at 2025. I think it's going to be the big year for policy changes, depending on how the White House and Congress goes with 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 the upcoming elections. Yeah. So 2025 is like kind of like the the big Kahuna. The 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 I've heard I've heard some people refer to it as the hurricane that's waiting. It's um, a it's a perfect storm. Is what it is. Yes. Because so you have walk us through if, if I'm if I'm a regular if I'm a tax regular old taxpayer. Um, in a state, you've been touching on this, uh, but but talk about all the things that, or some of the things that, the really important things that could expire at the end of 2025 if, if Congress can't figure out a deal. Um, yes, I mean, so you have, you know, if, if we recall with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act back in 17, our individual tax rates went down. Um, if nothing happens, those rates are, are, are scheduled to go up and it can go up anywhere between one to 4% and additional taxes depending where you fall. The standard deduction was almost doubled, right? And the thought behind doubling was a standard deduction is to, to, to make the, uh, the process of filing your return that much easier because it eliminated a good amount of people who were having to figure out the charitable deductions and their property taxes and their um, mortgage interest and things like that. So, so those are two big ones that are gonna affect individuals. From the estate perspective, we kind of talked about it already with the lifetime exemption um, almost being cut in half. From a business perspective, you have that, that qualified business income deduction, which has been a huge you know, benefit for small businesses who have the type of income that's eligible for this. I mean, you're, you're pretty much getting an effective tax rate, you know, seven to eight to 9% less than what you would normally pay by getting this 20% deduction off, off your net income. So that's a big one that, that would be affected. And then the other one that's, I guess, a benefit especially if you're in a state where, where it's high income tax, is this cap on state and local tax. You know, the, right. the cap that was put into place, the $10,000 cap would go away. So there's there's a lot of things that that are going to have to, you know, be done by Congress. I, I can't see any side, depending on how the elections go, not doing anything, because there are some significant um, changes that would go if nobody does anything. So to your point, I think 2025 is going to be a busy year for us. Um, unfortunately for us, a lot of this, like like it happened back in 2017, a lot of these changes don't kick in or or aren't introduced until the end of the year, November, December, yeah. which makes year end you know tax planning even that more interesting. So um, 2024, I think is big estate. Uh, get your estate in order. Make sure that you maximize from that. And 2025 is really. Keep an eye on Congress, see what's going on with with a lot of these and and pivot and adjust depending on how, um, the way things are going. So th uh, that's that's a perfect uh, segue into some of um, uh, weird questions I want to throw in here. Okay. Uh, at you. So um, to that point on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, Donald would like to know the likelihood of the tax cuts of, of it expiring or of it being, or the, or the chance of it being renewed. So what are your thoughts right now? 
it, it, it's it, if you knew who was going to be elected president and which way Congress and the Senate and the House was going, I could tell you. But I nobody really knows. Um, you know, chances are the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was under a Republican administration. So if if the White House goes Republican and and the House goes and House and Senate goes Republican, you can hope you will probably see a lot of these um, items being extended. Um, I think the continuous deficit the country gets into, they, they have to reconcile and they got to generate revenue somehow. So that's also plays into this. Um, you know, if the, the, the Democrats win, you can see a lot of these, um, you know, favorable ones possibly going away that, that, that they were not necessarily on board with initially. So really, it's nobody knows. Um, you, it's really look at the elections and see how that goes and you'll have a better idea in November. Yeah, yeah. So from uh, big, big picture to uh, the home sales, um, Sari is asking if capital gain, if, if capital losses uh, can be used to offset the gains on the sale of a main residence. Okay. So, so first thing first, if, if it's your primary home, you have an exemption right off the top. So if you sell your primary home, you've lived in it two out of the last five years. Um, if you're single, the exemption is two hundred and fifty thousand. The if you're married, it's five hundred thousand. So if the if if your gain exceeds two hundred and fifty thousand, if you're single, or five hundred thousand, if you're married, then yes, any capital losses would also help reduce that that gain. But you got to get over that threshold first of two fifty or five hundred as far as the gain goes. Um, but yes, any capital losses can offset capital gains. The net capital loss that you can have is limited to $3,000. Um, so if you have a million dollars of capital losses and you know $10,000 of capital gain, you can only take a $3,000 loss and you carry the rest forward. Well, yeah, so there you go. You, and you also, um, Shirley, right to that point, she wanted to know if the deduction on capital losses is still at 3,000 and so. It's, yeah, it's, it's, the net is 3,000. So it's 3,000 overall year losses. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, it, it's interesting. I've written some stories on on this, and in, in both of those, the primary exclusion and the capital loss, um, th those levels have been set for years. Yeah. Well, and, I mean, it's it's yes, the capital loss, yes, and also the uh, we talked about it, uh, the net investment income tax. I mean, that doesn't go back too far, but yes, some things get in, you know, adjusted for inflation, and others don't. Um, the way the real estate market has been recently, it's it's not uncommon to easily exceed those values, even if you're just holding, you know, your primary home for three or four years. I mean, we see it down here in South Florida. A lot of our clients, you know, Kaufman and Rawson have, you know, really were able to maximize and buy at the right time and sold two or three years later and they exceeded some of those thresholds. So yes, you would hope that some of this would also be adjusted for inflation, but we're still waiting on that. <laughs> <laughs> still waiting on a lot of things. So I, I guess, unfortunately, we we could keep going forever, but uh, um, unfortunately, that's that's all the time we have for today. Adrian, thank you very much for joining us. Andrew, thank you, and all those out there watching, uh, thanks for joining, and and you know, good luck uh, planning for the end of the year. So, and, and thank you, audience, and um, so we'll, we hope you listen to our next episode tomorrow. Financial News' Justin Cash will be talking with uh, Euronext's CEO Stefan Bujna. And they will chat about the outlook for 2024 European markets. Will IPOs rebound? Can Europe pull together to challenge the U.S.? Which sectors could offer a welcome Christmas present? Thank you very much for listening. Be well. Have a nice day.
The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.